Hello and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your hosts, Lindsay Anderson. And I'm Benny Loy. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm she, they. And we're here to talk to you about the news this week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's been a crazy week. We were just talking about this off mic that we both had a pretty crazy week. For me, I drove 15 hours down to Stanford, California in one day for a concert that was the next day and then drove 15 hours back the day after that, which is pretty crazy, but it was a cool concert. Then, you don't know, do you know Cave Town? Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was Cave Town, MXM Tune, Ricky Montgomery, and uh, this guy called Grent. Grent was the only one I hadn't heard of, um, but they're all kind of like bedroom pop. Uh, they're all queer. It was cute. It was like a little festival. No. Definitely worth it, but so many, so many weird things happen on a road trip. And you were saying you've had a weird week too. Yeah, very weird. I guess like the basic rundown is went to a concert recently and somebody was like, who lived nearby the concert was firing off their gun in their backyard and a stray bullet hit one of my friends. Where they're safe, they're fine. It's just a flesh wound, but... But still terrifying. It's still interesting, yeah, to be faced with your own mortality like that. Yeah. Well, and speaking of concerts, too, the biggest concert that happened since the pandemic came to Seattle this last weekend. Uh, were you, I guess you don't quite live in Seattle. You live in Monroe. Monroe. Yes. Yeah. But I often go to Seattle for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Did you, were you in Seattle this weekend, like during the Switch Mania? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't either. I We fled. We were, that was while I was driving to Stanford or Cape Town. Mm-hmm. But I heard it was crazy that there was like a big Mariners game at the same time concert. Literally everyone and their mom was at this concert. My Instagram feed was just pink everywhere. And I was like, okay, is this person at the Taylor Swift concert or are they seeing Barbie? You know, everybody was doing something, embracing their favorite. So it's kind of been the week wrap up for us. Yeah, well, I mean, the week hasn't just been crazy for us. It's been crazy for this Seattle area in general. I mean, shit went popping off in the Capitol Hill block party, for instance. Absolutely. Again, that was Capitol Hill block party happening at the same time as the Swift concert. And then a ton of police officers called out sick, heavy quotation marks. She, <laughs> yeah. So I have to wonder now how many cops are Swifties. <laughs> What era is their era, though? And do you think that if cops are sick, do you they would say that they're the problem? It's them? Will they admit it? Finally? Maybe. <laughs> well, speaking of cops, uh, we have a really great article in this week's paper about the Seattle Police Department written by your favorite co-host, Benny Loy. Uh, Benny, <laughs> you want to get into uh, a little bit about this article, Mother of Demarcus Butts Speaks? to chief the end about the SPD break room indignity? Yes. So I'm sure many people have already heard about what happened or, well, what was released about something that happened in 2021. So the East Precinct, they, uh, in 2021, their break room was not up to snuff. <laughs> That's the best way to say it, is in a place of prominence next to the mural of their mascot and an American flag was the Trump flag hanging in their break room, as well as the most disturbing piece, which was above the break room microwave, was a mock tombstone made in the memory of Demarius Butts. And it was very disrespectful. The way that this was all released is part of a lawsuit 
between the city of Seattle, the SPD, and some protesters is that they used some chalk and some charcoal back in 2021 to write some messages on a concrete block or slab that was set outside of the East Precinct. This was a temporary addition to the East Precinct due to the protests at the time. They didn't graffiti the actual precinct, and it was also chalk and charcoal. And in the past, the police have not only given permission and the go-ahead to other people to, you know, make chalk statements when it's statements that they agree with, but they've also just, you know, watched it happen if the statements are pro-police. And these protesters that made these statements were arrested. Their attorney asked for the body cam footage. And when he saw the state of the break room, he released that footage. And so then that's what we've seen now. And it's it's caused a lot of hurt and pain in the in the community. And it's definitely disheartening for me because I've been spending a lot of time going to SPD advisory council meetings, talking to a lot of these cops that are working with programs like Before the Badge and other outreach programs and saying that they're trying to bridge the gap and repair relations with the community. And when something like this happens, that really hurts that progress. Just to clarify as well, it's really important to note that Demarius Butts, whose name appears on the tombstone, was actually murdered by police, uh, Seattle police. Uh, A lot of the significance there with them kind of keeping that as a trophy or a symbol of this heinous thing that they're responsible of, it shows no remorse. And it, yeah, really disheartening for the community. Yeah, and it contributes to an antagonistic relationship between the police and the community. That's not conducive to building a relationship. I understand now that the break room no longer looks this way from some of the the contacts that have spoken to me that aren't officially, you know, police officers, but they work with the SPD. They said that since they've been in those break rooms that they haven't seen anything like that, that in fact that they would tear it down if they saw something like that. But the fact that this did happen in 2021 is still very disheartening and we want to see the progress. We want to see people held accountable. We want to see how things have truly changed. Are we seeing, you know, just an outer change or are we seeing an inner change? You know, I don't want the decorations to just change. I also want to see the culture. So exactly. I think it also brings forward a lot of this debate that a lot of people have. And I think that as we get closer to voting, especially for like District 3 council member, um, this is something we've talked a lot about here is, you know, whether or not the institution of policing can be changed. You know, it's that question of does the institution itself take some people that may be good people, may have good intentions? Are they corrupted by the power that comes with the badge? Or does it just entice bad people that want to, you know, uphold racist ideologies? And it brings also a whole new, like, layer to the idea of racism itself because the police as an institution we know historically is a racist institution and that you know you can't exist outside of those biases that you've been raised on so can we move forward as a community i know a lot of like council people are asking for or campaigning on the platform of community policing and police reform while others are taking more of a radical approach to complete defunding and getting rid of the police in general, which realistically probably isn't going to happen in Seattle, but it's still an idealistic approach to take. Um, What's your thought on the topic, Penny? So, so far what I've seen with my reporting on the police is that it's kind of a waiting game right now. You know, there's a lot of Seattle police officers that are telling me that they genuinely want things to be better and that they're genuinely trying. And I want to believe them, but I also 
you know, we all have to we all have to be mindful of the fact of what's happened in the past. I mean, I, I was there at the George Floyd protests and I saw how many of the protesters were treated. I can't really I can't really get past that. <laughs> and so the main thing is, is that any change that they're going to make, it's super frustrating that it's going to take forever. But we're just going to have to wait and see. I know that with their before the uh, badge program recruits before they go into the academy will be going out into the community and getting to know the community that they may eventually be policing. And if during that process they are found to, like, for instance, be racist, they're kicked out. <laughs> they don't even get a chance to go to academy. But the thing is, is that, you know, this program, for instance, is very new. It is only being done so far in Seattle. And it's currently being studied by the University of Washington. And it's their their follow-up interviews with recruits after they become officers through this program is five years and 10 years. That's a long ways off. And a lot of things can happen in the meantime. And so yeah. even though it's really frustrating that I can't see immediate results, and I'm sure it's frustrating for them that they can't show immediate results either, it's just going to be a waiting game and we're going to have to do what we can in the moment until we see that things have changed. Also, going back to that idea of um, community training before people even enter the program, who's determining whether or not they're quote unquote racist? Official members of the community. Okay. Yeah. So for instance, the head of the African-American Advisory Council, she will help determine that. Okay, well, that's good then. I was thinking maybe it was going to be like police chief, but like, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, someone that's like, well, they don't say the N word, so they're not racist, you know? <laughs> no, like they're actually having to interact with, you know, actual members of the community who aren't as biased. Like they're not, you know, trying to save face with, with the police. Not to say that all officers are doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. Well, we've yeah. had a really great, I think, in-depth conversation about the police. <laughs> yeah. Um, please, listeners, share with us your thoughts on any of this. Um, if you'd like, uh, check it out on Instagram, please. Add any comments you can. We'd love to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts. And I think it's time for us to go to a quick ad break. And then I'll be back with our interview. So, hi, I am here with this week's interview. Joining me... This week is Dion Dior Black, who you can find at Drag Brunch at Elizan Brewery on Capitol Hill from 1 to 3 p.m. on August 13th. If you're looking for a good time, Dion, how are you doing? I'm doing great. The weather's nice. It's summer. It's not rainy and depressing. So we always love that here, right? So yeah, I love that. Friday as well. So can't be mad at that. Nice. So you are a drag queen in Seattle. And I was just wondering, how long have you been on the scene? Mm -hmm. I've been doing drag since 2017. So seven years, it's a long time. Um, what kind of originally inspired you to get into drag back in 2017? Originally, I saw there's this drag queen in Portland, Oregon, I'm not sure part of um, Oregon, named Grace Towers, and they're a bearded queen. So I would like always watch their stuff. And then that's like around, like after Drag Race came out and all that stuff. But I've always been like a performer, like I've done plays and like, on the dance team and always been like a performer and I just kind of gravitated towards it and I would go to like drag shows at our place when they were open like pre-COVID and that's when I met my now drag mom so I like reached out to her and I was like hey would you be open to painting me I want to do like this photo shoot 
She's like, sure. So we like met at the drugstore. We bought some makeup and I went to the dressing room and she like painted me. I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, I look stunning, but I'm like, I don't know if I can do this myself, but she painted me for a few times. And then one night Cookie Couture was in the dressing room and she was like, so where do you perform? And I said, I don't yet. So she like offered me a spot in her show in West Seattle. And from then, drag just kind of like just took off from there. Oh, nice. Right place, right time, close mouth, don't get bed kind of situation. So mm-hmm. for you, what are some of your favorite parts about performing, especially like in Seattle? So I love well, when I first started doing drag, I thought I would always have to do like top 40, always have this, always have that, always something brand new. But the more I do, it's not that I don't care, but the more, the longer the drag, it's like what you see is what you get. And if I like, if I want to do the BGs tonight, I'm going to do the BGs. I want to do like, I let us wear a set or someone, guess what? I'm going to do that and it's going to be great. So <laughs> I just like communicating songs that I gravitate towards and performing wise. And I like seeing the reaction on people's faces, especially if it's like a nostalgic song that people love. Those always go over really well too. So it's kind of more of like a reaction. Yeah. So you mentioned nostalgia. What kind of era do you gravitate towards when it comes to like nostalgic songs? So I don't like to do anything too deep cuts because I don't want the crowd looking at me stu- like sideways. <laughs> but also I don't care, but also I still want to like entertain. Yeah. I think I grew up listening to a lot of Motown. So I would do like Aretha Franklin or like Janet Jackson. I've known Michael Jackson yet, but like more of the Motown era in like early 90s. A lot of great. That's when like songs were like five, six minutes. Mm-hmm. Now it's like. You pick a two-minute song, it's like find a mix. So you like have time to stay on stage. But I always fill up like songs with a bridge and a chorus and the first verse and the second verse. I love that. And how would you describe your persona when you're in drag? I use the three words, black, bearded, and body. So electricity and wonder, you can tell that I'm black. But also last name is black in drag. Um, I have a beard, so I'm a bearded queen and body because I wear like the pads and breasts and all that. So like there's a shape to it. So I kind of incorporate all that into my aesthetic. Nice. And how long did it take you to kind of um, find your aesthetic? Maybe two years. A lot during COVID when mm-hmm. we weren't doing drag. It was like, okay, so what are we looking at here? Because when I first started doing drag, I didn't wear pads. I just cringed at the video and I thought I was like the sexiest person alive <laughs> the first time. Like I had no pads on. I had these horrible shoes on. It was, a, it was a moment. So I always encourage people to like go out and do drag when you're ugly. Like don't wait until you're like pretty because you're going to learn so much doing that. It's like you can totally put it in the microwave, but if you preheat the oven, by the time the pie is done, it's going to taste better than store-bought. So probably during COVID, it's where I like kind of set myself down. I was like, okay, so what do you want to look like? What do you want to do? What's the aesthetic we're going after? Yeah, nice. I really like the analogy, too, of the pie in the oven microwave. I am good with analogies. So. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a great way. I think, like, great advice, not just for drag, but for life, you know, not to to put off your dreams until you think you need to, you know, be thinner or taller or, you know, what have you. I love that. Yeah. Jennifer Lewis once said, the elevator to success is broken. Take the stairs. Oh, I love that. You're going to learn so much on your way up. And as Miley Cyrus once said, it's all about the climb. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So many iconic queens. Thank you. So I did want to ask you a couple of questions about um, being a bearded drag queen. Can you explain that 
to some of our viewers who don't know as much about drag? Sure. So to the untrained eye, if you mention we're going to go to a drag show, a lot of people are going to think of what they see on RuPaul's Drag Race or like mainstream, like just straight female presenting. But there's also tons of types of drag, tons of types of drag. What school did I go to? There's also a lot of drag out there. So for instance, to pre-say this, I'm saying terms that people I'm around say as far as describing different types of drag. So we have drag kings, which are male presenting performers. We have drag queens who are female presenting drag performers. We have AFAB, which is assigned female at birth. Some queens prefer that, some queens don't. And we have bearded queens, which is like me, I do drag with a beard. So there's like tons of different aspects of drag. I tend to do bearded drag. That just means you do drag, but you also have a beard. And that falls under the club category sometimes, but I identify as a drag queen. I like some people are like, well, I couldn't do pretty drag because I don't feel the fantasy or I can't. Well, I feel my heightened self when I'm in drag. I just happen to sew my beard on. It may take someone else to shave and like do that for them to feel their oats, as they would say. I would say personal preference. I don't do bearded drag because I'm too lazy to shave. And that's another narrative bearded queens get like, oh, they're just lazy. It's like, no, that's just how I choose to express myself. And if you want to get deeper, some women do have facial hair. Yeah. And I never said I was a woman. I'm just someone who puts makeup on and moves my mouth around and entertain people. Yeah. I love that. When you do your face for drag, do you do makeup to enhance your beard or like add to it? It adds extra time on and mm-hmm. usually up running behind, depending on the look too, because that's a dedicated to the look so if i i painted it like if i painted green then i had to find like green hair and make sure i have like outfits and stuff that coincide with it if i paint it orange or yellow i like okay i kind of have more of a theme i'm moving into the space of i'll do a colored hair and the beard and then maybe a black hair so it like it doesn't like look completely off and like the look has to kind of go with it but it does add a little bit more time with getting ready and speaking of time, um, how long does it typically take you to kind of transform? So it used to take me about two and a half to three hours to look busted. Now that I'm like further along, I can get ready in like an hour, like 45 minutes. 90 minutes is like what I aim for. Like I set my timer for 90 minutes. I'm like, okay, I guess you're done by that time. So I cut it down in half. Nice. Have you been able to cut it down just by like perfecting makeup looks or have you kind of altered what you wear? Perfecting makeup looks and time, I would say. The less you think about it and you just put it on, like the old school queens would say, just put it on and just you'll figure it out. Before then, I was like thinking of every single like, okay, I have to do this, I have to do that. Now I'm just like, just put, just put it on. It'll all come out in the wash, especially if you like learn your face. Like a lot of people will say, oh, can you paint, not me, but like drag queens will like, oh, can you paint my face? And yeah, they can, but they don't know your face like you know your face. They're doing their face on you. They're not doing your face on yourself so they can teach you like my drag mom painted me for my shows my first three shows and then after i would start to get ready with her and paint myself and kind of learn you know i still look busted back then but it's it's fine but it's funny how long it takes you to look busted and how quick it takes you to look good now it's it's wild so when you talk about learning your face um what are some things that stick out to you about your face that you've had to learn over the years that my eyebrows don't need to look like the McDonald's logo <laughs> and finding, I would say the right colors because you can easily look orange mm. 
or you can look like pale. It all depends on like colors you blend. And sometimes less is more when it comes to drag makeup. As like clowny and high old school drag you want to look, sometimes less is more. It just looks like you have a lot on your face, but you really don't. Nice. Thank you. I appreciate that because I don't know my face at all. I, I am bad with makeup. Trial <laughs> and error. Yeah. And I've got some questions about the Seattle nightlife scene for you. First, just kind of what are some of your favorite venues to perform at around Seattle? I have performed at almost every venue in Seattle. Oh, and wow. I would say, I'm going to answer two because I can never answer questions just right. My favorite type of drag show is if it's at like a theater and there's like a stage and there's like a backstage and like production and lights. That's my favorite type of drag show. But before, my favorite place to perform was Our Place on Capitol Hill when they were open. Now my favorite place to perform is Neighbors. How often do you usually perform at Neighbors? Either every other month. Now they have this new drag show hosted by Miss Texas 1988. It's called Fridays Are a Drag. So it's a new show they're bringing back to the Capitol Hill. So there's more drag shows on Capitol Hill for people to go to and at, and at a different time. So people can like make their way around, which is like what we used to do pre-COVID. Nice. Super cool. And have you performed elsewhere aside from Seattle? Yes. So in 2019, I won National Beauty Queen. It's a national pageant. So my promoter at the time lived in Dallas. So I flew down, I would fly down to Dallas a few times a year and perform there. So I perform at like the Roundup. It's a popular bar in Dallas. And perform at Tacos and Tequila. That's another place down there. I also performed in Orlando, Florida a few times. I can't think of the last place, but I performed at a theater this past April which is my, like I said, second favorite type of place to perform where there's like lights and there's a background. It was the Phillips Theater downtown Orlando. Cool. Since you've performed kind of all over the country, what would you say sets Seattle apart from other scenes? I don't know if Seattle is set apart so much. I think Seattle is just not that on the map wise with drag. Like we're very eclectic here. I don't even know if I like that word. There's just a lot of variety. Like I had a drag queen from Toronto um, hit me up in my DM. They were like, hey, hey, Dion, I'm from Toronto. I'm visiting. Do you know of any shows or anything like that? So we like met up. I ended up looking for my drag brunch. But that Friday, I took them around to different bars just to see different types of drag. So we started at Unicorn to see Lashes there. And that was their own set of queens at that show. And then we went to Neighbors to see the Fridays of the drag show a whole bunch of different uh, type of drag there. And then we went to Pony to see Queen for Queen. And there was a whole bunch of different type of drag there. And they were just like surprised at how much drag Seattle has. So I think we're just like a variety box of chips, something for everybody. Nice. I like that. You're good at analogies. I love that. So again, kind of going with Seattle compared to other places in the country or like I guess in Canada too, around the world. How do you think Seattle's drag scene could be improved in you know the next coming years? I think more places for drag, more queer safe spaces for drag, I would say. I wouldn't say more spaces because anyone can open their doors, but just more spaces for drag queens and drag performers, I should say, not queens, because there's more than just drag queens, to perform and be exposed. And so people can see what they have to offer, whether it's like a brunch show, dinner show, um, a night show. Thank you. And I just have a couple more questions for you. And these ones are going to be a little bit harder maybe to talk about or get into. So again, if you don't want to discuss it, no worries at all. But we are in a political climate where especially conservative politicians have been 
attacking drag queens. We're seeing people that are running for potentially the presidential office in the next election, banking on criminalizing drag. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's all propaganda. Like they're just trying to distract people because when drag queens, are sh- when we're told it's an all ages show, we go accordingly. So we come with our mixes edited. We come dressed. We're not like running around in like underwear. So I think people kind of know what they're signing up for. And it's also the people are taking their kids there. We're not going to people's houses and like getting their kids. Don't child. Like people are like <laughs> their kids to like see a show. So I think it's all propaganda to distract people. I think politicians know what triggers people and what's going to get people riled up. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, let's attack the gays. Because we attack the gays, we know they're going to do that. But people have to be careful with Oh, yeah, because those gays, blah, blah, blah. But once they have your attention and your vote, then they can switch. And now you're the next target. So I think think it's propaganda, if I'm using the right word, and it's trying to distract people. I think everyone's intentions are good who do it, like who do like drag. And we're not out here wilding in the streets trying to convert people to be gay. And also there's straight drag queens and drag performers as well. So... I wouldn't necessarily say it's the gay thing. It's just an easy target. And I think people should think about that. Have you felt that your career has been impacted yet by any of this legislation or kind of this propaganda that's coming for drag queens? No, I would say it hasn't. That's good. Do you have any reservations for the future for, you know, your career or the safety of other people in like the drag community, um, maybe people that aren't in Seattle? As they, it's, it's cliche, but they always say the vote. There's more voting going on outside of voting for the president every couple of years. You have to vote for like local elections because it all comes down that pipe, like yeah, statewide or your governor or mayor. Like you still have to vote. Like don't just throw the envelope away when you get in the mail. Like just drop it off at a library or somewhere. Just fill it out. I would just say just continue to vote because there's more voting. You have more power. There's a reason that there's red and blue states. Like if the president's red, all the states don't turn red. There's a reason why that's like that. So as long as you just continue to vote, educate yourself, there's no harm in educating yourself. If you don't know, reach out and get information. Thank you. And then my last thing is, do you have anything you would like to say? I doubt these people are listening to this podcast anyways, but anybody that does think drag queens are dangerous, um, how would you respond to that? I would say usually hit dogs holler. And I'm not saying every person that's against drag wants to do drag or wants to see it or be a part of it. I would just say, just be honest with yourself. A lot of people like that are products of their environment and that's just what they grew up around. And it's, I'm not saying that as an excuse for them. It's just what they grew up around, but you also have the power to challenge what you grew up around as well. Yeah, thank you. That's a great answer. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I kind of wrap up our conversation? People listening, I would tell you to continue to support local drag. I know we get excited when our TV girls come and we want to go out and meet them. But with, there's also queens who didn't get a phone call to go on TV or who didn't even audition to go on TV and who just love doing drag. And they still will love that support. So when you bring the 20s and the 50s to see the girls, make sure you bring that to the local girls because of the or local performers. Because a lot of people that do drag full time and this is their, like their bread and butter. So support local drag. Start exploring other drag shows to go to. Like I said, neighbors that started up their drag show. Fridays, 
Um, you can go to Neighbors, you can go to Crowbar, you can go to Pony, you can go to Unicorn. Numos has drag shows sometimes, but you always try to get out there and support local drag because you never know what who you're going to meet, who's going to inspire you. Yeah, you just never know. Like I did drag at our place pre-COVID and this lady was there with her friend from Utah or Idaho and she was dying of cancer or something. And she was like, her one wish was to see a drag show. So she's happy she came and saw that. So we're not hurting anyone. We're just making everyone's lives better. So I would just say go out and support local drag. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and again, for any listeners that want to go out and support Beyond Your Black in a local drag show, Elysian Brewery on Capitol Hill from 1 to 3 p.m. on August 13th will be her next show. So definitely go check that out. That's a drag free drag show. Well. Oh, it's free. That's amazing. So you have no reason not to go, people. Yeah. Yeah. And enjoy the best meal of the day with the best entertainment you can get in Seattle. So yeah. it's perfect. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, we are back. That was a super fun interview all about drag, drag culture. Uh, Benny, do you know much about drag culture? Are you like a drag aficionado? I wouldn't say that. I really enjoy drag. I actually, when I spoke to Nemesis, I said that if I were to be a drag queen or king, my drag performer name would be Miss Nomer. Okay, <laughs> I like that. My partner said their drag name would be uh, Miss Gender. <laughs> I don't know what my drag name would be. I gotta think about it. Yeah, you, you're gonna have to think about it. So I guess more in the news and something that I really want to talk about because I'm a dork about this is the World Cup. Benny, do you did you play soccer growing up? No, I was pretty terrible at it once. I had this actually really traumatizing experience in in middle school where I uh, we were setting up our teams and I was never one to be picked for the teams. I was always like the last with good reason and. Uh, uh, the only sport I was good at was baseball growing up. And so we were setting up to play soccer. And for the first time ever, instead of being picked last, somebody said, no, pick Benny to be the goalie. She's good at this. And I'm like, I don't know where you got this information. But, you know, me with my social anxiety and being a middle schooler, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and we lost. Oh, no. <laughs> we lost so bad. I did not stop. One ball. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. That being goalie is so hard though. I'm I was not a goalie growing up. I was like a midfielder. But my best friend, shout out to Bailey. Maybe she's listening. Probably not. She was the goalie for our high school team. And I remember we were playing in this one game where we were playing against Okanagan. You know, mm-hmm. like down in the middle of the state, we had like gone out they did an Okanagan showcase every year and this was for high school and our team went to brag we're really good and we were like unfairly at like you know 10 points to the point where it's you know like the humane thing to do is like mix things up a little bit so our coach put my best friend who's our goalie as a forward and put me in the goal we got scored on like five times because i was in the goal (laughs) and i remember on a corner kick bailey had the perfect chance to head the ball in the goal and she punched it with her fist because (laughs) she's used to being goalie it was disappointing for everybody, but we still won. <laughs> but speaking of speaking of people that just kind of rock the soccer world, the U.S. is dominating as expected in the World Cup. Um, so this is the one. Women's World Cup. Yeah, this is the only time that I'm like very patriotic because I love the U.S. women's team. They have so many amazing queer players, including Megan Rapinoe, who's from Seattle, plays for Oil Rain. The U.S. isn't the only team with an abundance of queer players. Australia has 
several queer players, one of which is in a cross-country romance with an American player. So the tea, the drama, yes, they haven't played yet, but we'll see, you know, what happens there. There's also an Australian player that is dating a player on the Netherlands team. So, you know, pretty, yeah, pretty spicy. Uh, They're the first non-binary player in the World Cup who does play for OL Reign in Seattle, but is playing for Canada in the World Cup because fuck the U.S. (laughs) <laughs> Quinn, that is their name. Catch a glimpse of them on the Canadian team. But real quick, what I want to do is just do a quick catch up for you about how the U.S. is doing. It's so drama filled. Basically how the World Cup is set up. There are different brackets that you're in and each bracket is four teams. And so you play kind of like a round rob and you play just about everybody in your bracket and then you get scored like one, two, three, four. And then after the score, you go into like the cutthroat, you know, losers out. Play. So everybody gets at least three games in the World Cup, Women's World Cup, because there's, you know, only 32 teams. And the U.S. played their first game against the Philippines, and they showed them no mercy. <laughs> they won, like, 3-0. U.S. player Sophia Smith, she is one of only, like, two teenagers to play for the U.S. in the World Cup ever. And she is one of the first teenagers to score multiple goals in a, U- in a World Cup for the U.S. Because she scored two goals in their first game, which was super cool. I feel like your eyes are glossing over. I'm oh. so sorry if this is nerdy. No worries. No worries. So she scored two goals. And then Lindsay Haram, who is the captain and has my same name, she also scored in that game. And so that put the U.S. at the top of their bracket. But then, and this is since this article has come out, so it's fresh news for all of you soccer fans. U.S. played their second game in the Red Robin. And they played against the Netherlands. And this is a big deal because the final of the last World Cup was the U.S. versus the Netherlands. It was a close game. It was a dramatic game. And the U.S. won. If the U.S. wins the World Cup this year, and they will be the first team, men's or women's, to win three consecutive World Cups ever, which is huge. So wow. Netherlands doesn't want them to do that. You know, they got beef because they lost. And this is also the first time that a rematch of the final has come in, like, the first, you know, seeding of the World Cup. Usually it's, like, mixed around a little. This was a tough game. The Netherlands scored first early in the first half. So U.S. was down at halftime. And then they came back to score again. And this is where this is where it's so dramatic. Okay. So Lindy Haran, so she's a badass. And she got fouled really, really bad up in the Netherlands half, kind of by their goal. And she got fouled by Van de Donk. That's the Gang's last name is Van de Donk. <laughs> and Van de Donk and Haran actually play on the same team, like when it's not the World Cup. So she got, like, just jabbed in the gut really bad. She was slow to come up. She actually, like, kind of limped off to the side so she'd be checked out. But you can't, you get limited subs in the World Cup. So they couldn't just sub her off. So they were, like, playing down, basically, a player for a couple of minutes. And then they got back on. There was a quarter kick. And Lindsay Horan and Van de Donk were having some words. They were beefing. They were, like, yelling at each other. Um, and the ref stopped the game and, like, had them hash it out and, like, make amends or something. And right after that, Lindy scored. So it was like, don't piss her off, you know? Like, this, mm-hmm. this chick was shit-talking her. The chick elbowed her. But all good with them. They're still friends. They posted about it on Instagram to let everybody know they're still friends. And Bandy Donk got, like, clobbered in the head at the end of the game and ended up having to come off and wear, like, this swimmer's cap. I don't know why. I think it was a compression thing to, like, in case she had a quick concussion. I think she's okay. Oh, but she but she got donked in the head. She got donked in the head, Yeah. <laughs> Not by Lindsay Haran, though. <laughs> by a different player. Rose Lavelle. So it was, it was a very dramatic game. 
And I was like jumping off the couch so excited to see like right after and they got into a scuffle. Because I'm like, that is so satisfying, you know, like mm-hmm. beefing with someone, you're beefing with someone that like, you know, and then you just mm-hmm. fucking score on them. That's like the, that's the best revenge. Act like, like a donk and then you get the donk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's so funny. The end score of that though was one to one. So it's a little like, you know, not what you wanted as them for the US. They're, cause, you know, they're coming in as the team to beat and mm-hmm. um, they've already had a cold scored against them. So, you know, fingers crossed that they do better. Uh, their next game is August 1st. So check out my recap of that game in the paper next week. But if you want more of a lowdown on all the queer players in the World Cup, who to watch out for and kind of the upsets and everything else, check out our sports coverage of that for the next month because I'm just so excited. I This is my Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I think in other news, too, one of our writers covered the Capitol Hill block party with a bunch of different queer artists playing there, including Rebecca Black. And I, um, Why did I not know Rebecca Black was queer? Wait, how old were you when Friday was a thing? Oh, that's a good question. I was maybe in middle school. Yeah, I feel like it was like peak middle school vibes for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, look forward to the, the next issue of our newspaper because we may have a interview with Rebecca Black. So, Oh, that'll be so exciting. Definitely check out the uh, Capital Block coverage. That's Kylan Brown. She's amazing. She, you might have recalled, does a lot of, or has done a lot of uh, entertainment writing with us in the past. Great pictures, too. I thought Muna was there. Are you a fan of Muna, Benny? I have such a hard time remembering, like, artist names. They sing um, Silk Chiffon. Do you know that song? It's not ringing a bell. <laughs> oh, no. I'm losing out on, like, the queer test. Like, I'm not <laughs> queer enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. What else is there in the news? The Pope is kind of supportive. Pope News! Pope News! I love Pope News. This will probably be coming out next week, but the Pope held a kind of like a discussion thing with young Catholics. One of the attendees was a trans person, and they asked about their uh, trans identity in relation to their faith and how it's caused a bit of a divide within themselves because it, it feels like the church is not affirming and accepting of trans identity. And the Pope, probably one of the best popes that we've ever had, but also, you know, not perfect. <laughs> the dopest pope, but also not. He said specifically in response to that, God loves us as we are. But he did add the caveat that he loves us even if we're sinners. So I guess in some ways it's bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Where the pope is saying that God loves us as, as we are, but also that I guess according to Catholicism, it's still up in the air as to whether being trans or being queer is is a sin. So, yeah, I guess you got to take your victories where you can. <laughs> Very true. I, the Catholic Church is so interesting because I think they definitely leave things up for interpretation and people take it always. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, my grandma's very Catholic and mm-hmm. she is very supporting of me, you know, supporting of just like the LGBTQ community in general, which is Mm-hmm. great and nice there's you know some queer people in my family that have never had issues things like that and then i had i went to Gonzaga, which is a catholic university and uh, my roommate there was very very catholic and she actually just got married this last year i wasn't invited because she's very catholic in that way you know 
oh no yeah and one of my friends from college reported back to me that the whole ceremony the priest that was like officiating it kept emphasizing like marriage is between one man and one woman like it's just so interesting how these two people from two different generations too can ascribe to the same religion and ship the same messages from the same pope and you know like even that like god loves you how you are you know you can take that as like you know, God loves you for being trans, or you could take that as God loves you for, you know, the person that you were born as and that you should stay that yeah. way. So. Yeah, I saw a lot of positive reporting on it, but I was just like, well, is it really that positive? Like, yeah, <laughs> it seems like it's a fake out, you know, like a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely like a very safe answer. You know, honestly, <laughs> I don't have respect for homophobes that are closeted homophobes like that, too. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you, if you, Mr. Pope, if you're homophobic, just come out and say if it. You're listening right now. Yes, I Pope. know you're listening, Pope. Sitting in the Vatican. Yeah, but you know, it's just, it's that thing. <laughs> it's that thing where people try to be like, you know they're homophobic, but they like won't say it, you know? They're like facetious mm. about it. And it's yeah. like, I have more respect for somebody that will be an all-out bigot and show up at a pride event mm-hmm. telling me that I'm going to hell because like at least I know exactly what they stand for than somebody that is just like, well... I love you anyways. That's your choice, you know? Exactly. They always they always give that caveat. They go, I love you because of my religious beliefs and my relationship with God. I just can't accept your lifestyle. It's like, fucking hate okay. that lifestyle. Like, what? <laughs> I'm not like boho. That's not it. You know what I mean? I'm not aesthetic. Yeah. It's like, are you saying the same thing to people who eat crustaceans? <laughs> are you saying the same exact thing to people who wear mixed fabrics? Exactly. Are you saying the same thing to people who get divorced? Oh my god, that is <laughs> such a big one, too. Shout out to my divorced homophobic dad. <laughs> Shout out. Woo. I don't I don't agree with your lifestyle. Sorry. It's not my place to judge. Only God can judge. Yes. But, you know, in the meantime, they're judging. Oh, man. Trauma bonding <laughs> on podcast. <laughs> Religious trauma. Yes. Yeah, it is interesting to see the different takes that are coming up in religion, because there are a lot of different churches that are accepting and affirming and are awesome. I mean, I covered a local church who held a rainbow bingo, a Methodist church, mm-hmm. who is ex- accepting and affirming, and, and they're awesome. Kudos to the religious people who are living with love instead of, you know, hate that you disguise as love. Yeah. But yeah, like we're seeing a real separation between these things. I mean, we've seen this for a while where there's definitely in, for instance, Christianity, there are two different Jesuses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> two very different Jesuses uh, in the culture. Definitely. <laughs> My Jesus is a uh, pansexual, though. Yeah, he's a carpenter, so he'll he'll nail anybody. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> My joke that I like to say is, is Jesus a top or a bottom? I believe he's the top. Because nobody comes above the Lord. Well, but you got to also remember, like, he used to wash people's feet. Like, he's also a service bottom. That's he is. He's 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 everywhere all the time. That's what they say, right? (laughs) He's doing it simultaneously. He's a power top and a service bottom. Yeah. We're probably making some religious people pretty upset. I'm sorry if this is a... You know, they're probably not listening. They're not listening. (laughs) Anybody listening to this is fully into the headcanon that Jesus was dating all 12 disciples at once. It was the... Oh, for sure. Thing. He was a sex god, for sure, you know? Yeah, he was also a punk rocker, for sure. Yeah. Like, if he came back today, he'd be, you know, he'd be down in those underground shows, just 
flipping tables, oh, okay. kicking people <laughs> in the face. <laughs> also, massive socialist. I'm certain, you know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, come back to the podcast next week when you can catch me and Benny's Jesus Smut. We will read it. Uh, we'll select one person to use YN as your name. Well, if you're still <laughs> listening after all that, thank you so much for sticking around this week. It's been a fun episode. I hope you have a great week. Stay safe. Stay safe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Grab a copy of the paper if you haven't already to check out all the stories that we didn't talk about. Keep watching the World Cup. The next game is August 1st. And kiss your dog for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything yeah. else you'd like to add, Benny? Open your heart to the possibility of uh, having, you know, a uh, polyamorous relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> add him to your polycule. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Radio SGN is hosted by Benny Loy and Lindsay Anderson and edited by Daniel Lindsley. The music for the show is provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.